Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm excited to call, have someone on the line all the way in Cologne, Germany, my hometown, calling in today, Mr. Andreas Haydn. Welcome to the podcast, Andreas. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward. Always great to have a fellow Kölner on the line here. And uh, just a quick intro of yourself. Um, you are currently playing a dual role as CEO of the DFL, Deutsche Fußball League, which is the Bundesliga, also known as that, in the digital space, as well as the EVP of digital innovation in the group. So you have two different roles there, and we're going to dig deeper into it. And, um, you know, you've obviously had you have an international background, uh, you, you, you kind of do certain things you studied around the world. Um, and of course, you've spent a lot of your time in Germany between Cologne and then later on also in Munich. So let's see how we get started with that first part of the um, of your career. Give us a quick uh, intro. Okay, great. So actually, my interest for digital started 84. Um, the old guys of us remember the C64, the Commodore um, computer. And uh, somehow around my 10th birthday, um, my father surprised me with a computer. And first, I didn't know what to do with it. And uh, But I've understood very fast um, that it opens up a new world um, of entertainment, information, um, etc. But we had the predecessor of the internet in Germany called the BTX, a very German uh, acronym. Okay. Um, it was an online service like AOL, um, but it was um, with a modem, etc. And I went online the first time early 1990. And somehow this whole digital world, this connected world opened up. And when I got my first uh, real internet access 1995, I knew this is where I want to go. Um, My background is marketing and communications, but very, very early in 1997, I started working for an internet service provider called Metronet back in the day, was the first flat fee provider in Germany. And uh, I tried to offer people um, uh, an internet service, so a product that didn't know yet that it existed and that didn't know what to do with it. And that was the first time I really learned customer centricity and focusing on the needs of the customer to provide services that are relevant for them. Mm, I like it. Nice. So where were you at that time? Which which part of uh, Germany were actually originally from? Uh, from Cologne, actually. Oh, you're from Cologne. Go. All right. Yes, yes, from Cologne. And oh. uh, the internet provider was in Siegburg, which is a town next to Cologne. And then uh, it was in, in Germany. All right. So you're a Cologne boy as well. Excellent. Um, now, I, I want to skip a little bit over maybe some of the, the other roles, but, you know, you spent some time in Microsoft and, and uh, you know, and that kind of led into the uh, into RTL, which obviously is one of the biggest German media houses, um, you know, massive group uh, from traditional television all the way to other things. So, you know, you know, talk us through that a little bit, you know, from, like I said, you know, the early end of 1990, you know, dot com, dot boss, you know, boom and bust here and, and now you're in RTL Interactive, which, you know, sounds already very digital. But uh, what does it actually mean for that group and what were you doing there? I think if I if I look back the last 20 years, I, I see cycles. I see cycles of technological and media development. So being in the dot-com time, 99, experiencing the first crisis, 2001 to 2003, 
the second crisis, um, uh, 2008-2009, now um, the COVID crisis. I think it it, it hardens your character and it <laughs> take it helps you to focus on the stuff that is relevant. Absolutely. It, Everything in, in life is cyclic and there are times when it's time to invest. There are times when it's time to reflect and to reorganize. And I think we are in this kind of a period right now. And lots of um, lots of situations remind me of 2008, 2009, when we did the fire sale of my startup or 2002, 2003, when I first in my career had to fire people. Um, and this is something that I think going forward is a very, very important um, experience um, in your life because always .com, as a web 2.0 started after the crash of .com. The right. whole second phase of social networks started after the financial crisis. And I'm very, very excited to see what great stuff is now going to be invented in the next two or three years once the COVID crisis is over, we refocus. And yeah. this is something uh, I find fasc very fascinating. Mm. I agree. I agree. So coming back to, you know, our friends in RTL who are interesting enough, of course, also based in Cologne, uh, you know, what is our, what was RTL interactive? Um, you know, you came in as a deputy chief editor, um, you know, and you, you moved all the way up to the chief innovation officer. So, you know, it's six years of, of your life there. Um, talk us a bit through the, the, I guess that was web 2.0 in, in your kind of math there. Um, is that, yeah. Yeah. So on the one hand side, it was, about building up a production team, um, building up an editorial team, launching platforms like sport.de, et cetera. Um, RTL is one of the largest broadcasting groups, um, in, uh, at least in Germany and uh, in Europe, and one yep. of the largest uh, in, the, in the world, with Bertelsmann as um, the mother company. Right. Our mission was there to grasp, to, to reassemble what was, what, um, what was left after the, um, uh, the dot-com crisis and building up the digital future of RTL and transitioning this classical broadcast company to a more and more digital media company. So we launched video-on-demand services like RTL Now. We launched um, user-generated content just a couple of months after YouTube launched. We launched Clipfish, which was their um, a UGC portal. Hmm. We build, we have bought uh, social networks, local social networks, to build them up and um, build products um, around it. And this whole was a traditional process where RTL, um, a broadcaster, had to find their own new way to generate new revenue, to reach younger target group, and to cope with the change not just in from from an organizational standpoint, but also from the shift, um, the early shifts in customer behavior towards uh, digital media. And RTL was a daughter company doing that. Right, got it. Now, how much was it? Let's say general focus and general entertainment versus sports. So, you know, was sports a bit on your radar already? Because RTL always obviously been quite heavily involved in German sports on many levels. Um, how much was sports versus just you know everything else the, the group does? I would say in, in my career, I'm seven to 10% a sports guy only. I'm a customer guy. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so much focused on the fan, on the customer, understanding their needs and providing the best services. But nevertheless, sure, RTL had the, at that time the Formula One rights. Um, RTL did a lot of boxing events mm -hmm. in that 
Um, I think sometimes we even had some football rights, as far as I remember. Um, um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, some some other sports rights were also available. And we launched platforms like uh, Sport.de and the general interest portals like RTL.de had always a big sports part um, within. So taking care of news conferences, taking care of ticker, um, taking care of these editorial stuff that I do now again, I learned that 10 to 15 years um, earlier. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, here's an interesting parallel. So it looks like obviously then you from there you moved on um, and seven load. I don't know whether you were a founding member there. You were the CEO and CEO um, maybe in, in sort of consecutive times there. Um, were you one of the, the founders of, of seven load or what was exactly your, your role there? So seven loads load was founded to take on RTL and to take on Prozim. You know, it's a. One of these uh, small media companies, um, it was founded roughly six months um, after YouTube has launched. It was a user-generated video portal, which then transitioned to a premium video portal. And my role was taking the experience and the network and the knowledge of a media company and taking the um, on the um, um, startup to the next level. So I joined as a COO. Um, and um, acquisition of content was one of my tasks. And there again, I touched sports. So we did um, acquisition deals with um, WWE, um, uh, with um, other premium content, everything that was available and not fully exploited digital um, by classic media companies. We took and we created small um, communities around it. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, the part which I, which I thought was interesting, you know, I, I started TSA in 1997. Um, and then literally a year later, we had a huge Asian crisis, the Asian financial crisis, which didn't really impact the rest of the world so much, but it was a complete mess out here. Now, you joined these guys end of 2007. And then, of course, we have 2008 and nine happening right after, right? So also interesting timing, right? You sort of probably just about getting started and maybe things are happening and maybe even, you know, raise some money and now here comes this big you know crisis you know just uh, give us some sense of what was happening because you alluded to a bit earlier already you know that wasn't so easy i'm sure right oh definitely uh, so we had deutsche telecom and boulder as investors mm -hmm. but here again my cyclic knowledge i would call it um was helpful because um i knew how to handle situations where you have to let people go i i knew how um, what what can a crisis do to a company because I experienced it already, even though uh, being barely above um, uh, 30 years or nearly 40 years, <laughs> um, I, um, I had this knowledge and um, I could apply to it. But having, you know, in the, in the startup life, I was, I think, employee like 10 or 15 or something like this in the startup life. You poor, you you gain so much from the emotions of the people. People work there because of a of a common goal of yeah. something where they want to achieve and change the media landscape. And then, due to economical reasons, um, investors behaving in interesting ways, uh, the market behaving in interesting ways, you have to tell them we did everything right, but at the end it didn't work out because the market we were too 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 early to the market. We didn't have enough cash. Um, we made lots of also sure operational mistakes because nobody knew what the business was like. And this is something that is, is again, forms your character, builds up knowledge for the next crisis um, cycle. But is is something that is um, um, it is sometimes necessary, but very hard. Hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I have plenty of flashbacks on <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> about these things because that's uh, definitely I've seen, you know, on many of those things of my own. And, and you rightly said, you know, this is another – we're in another one of those examples right now um, where – you know, a lot of it has to be scaled back, uh, but a lot of innovation is happening, and, and we'll get to it obviously a little bit later in our conversation here. Uh, now, interesting enough, then after I guess uh, spending about almost four years there with Seven Load, and, and as far as I checked, uh, you know, Google them, uh, they're still around, right? As a company, um, they still exist. They've, they've kind of grown around the world to uh, twelve different languages. Is that correct, um, or where are they right now? No, that was a high time, and then we sold it to our uh, main investor, Borda, who then um, put it into their video unit. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Maybe the stuff I found online wasn't that quite there. So, what does it call now? Is it has a different name now? The, the company? No, it, it completely uh, went transitioned into the Borda um, family, and um, technology was used, but it it's already now okay, different, ten different. years ago, right. ten years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Now, interesting enough, then you moved, you know, you know, you, you were started in RTL there or, you know, many years in RTL and now you go in pretty much right to the competition here. You know, you go to ProSieben Z1 or Z1, um, which is, again, I would argue the direct competitor to RTL as a group um, and equally big and powerful, of course, as a company. Um, and, and you joined now, this was called ProSieben Z1 Games. Um, I'll talk us through what does that exactly mean? Is that games as in computer games or what was that uh, that particular role all about? I think the if you if you go through my Vita, I always go into something that is new for me and it it opened up the opportunity opened up to do a post merger merger integration of three companies and creating a new entity for Prozeben, which is also a TV a media company and creating um, the games unit um, for them. At that time, we had an output deal with um, Sony, um, Sony Games with mm -hmm. great games like PlanetSide 2, et cetera, um, being released under our radar and marketed to various uh, European countries. Um, we had distribution agreements with TFR for France, with Dogan for Turkey, et cetera, and really moving into a um, user paid content acquisition model that was very, very, um, uh, very, very interesting, strong growing. Um, I did that for two years um, and um, did the whole post-merger integration and building up the management team. And then I handed it over and moved um, towards um, doing the same for Maxdome uh, as a video on the month um, service. Yeah, yeah. Now, at the moment, you this is sort of the early 2010s here, 11, 12, 13 um, you're now hanging out in Bavaria with our friends there. Uh, you know, how, how would you compare the cultural and or the difference being first in this, you know, what you would call the Web 2.0 world, um, streaming platforms, all the stuff you were doing there, um, you know, video, video sharing websites, and now you're in the gaming world, right? I mean, uh, it, these are very different worlds, right? Yes, they're all digital, but still obviously very different things. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure you're a gamer or, or, or in this space, you know, how would you, you know, how did you make these transition? Um, how do you kind of jump into the cold water every time and, and trying to learn something new here? I think I know about gaming as much as I know about football. <laughs> so I think, I, again, I start with the customer. The first thing I did every time I go into a new subject, every time I go into a new field of a business, first, I take a look at the data. 
Secondly, um, I have something like a standard set when I take over a responsibility. Um, I want to see customer interviews. Um, you would say if you would be working for McDonald's, you want to be burger flipping. Uh, you want to be in the first line. You want to read what the customers, um, how they are satisfied or dissatisfied. What are their expectations? What are their needs? Because this is the only way to form the company towards the customer needs. Um, mm. You can have the greatest technology in the world, but if the application of that technology isn't relevant to the fan, to the customer, you will be out of business. Um, Here's something, especially in an area where games, um, I've, I've, I've played games, um, I wouldn't say I'm a hardcore gamer, but um, I, I used to play in my early days a lot, very much, and <laughs> Quake in the, in the 90s. But understanding why are people paying money for a virtual good. And this virtual good can be uh, a video on demand subscription, can be a weapon, can be an audio track. This is something, this trigger point um, to, to get them to do it for the first time. And the second point to extend their customer lifetime towards a maximum. These mm. acquisition and retention and understanding the logic behind it, I find this uh, challenging, but, but highly motivating. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, and we'll get to that when we start, you know, going into the world of football here and DFL. Um, you know, and I, as I mentioned earlier already, I, I want to talk a bit about NFTs later, um, which is sort of the, the latest, I guess, uh, innovation in this space, right? People paying for a clip, which in theory you can get out there anyway. Um, but it is now on blockchain. It is numbered and, you know, and, and all of a sudden it has a value, which uh, I think I, I find fascinating. But um, what was it? We'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. So how did you get into the Bundesliga? Most of my interview was around customer. Most of my interview was around um, a media and, and the knowledge of media. And it was very little about the upsides regel, which is the offside rule. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, and again, I, I would agree that's not necessarily uh, that sort of football knowledge which you need um, to do what you're doing now. And and, and that's why I, I want to go um, just make sure you know, the, I understand or, or people understand the different the two different roles you have because I've heard an interview you did in German um, and it, it, there is very distinct roles, right? On one side, you are the CEO of the uh, uh, DFL Digital and DFL stands for Deutsche Fußball League. Um, that's the you know the subsidiary there, and then you also sitting on the digital innovation group, I guess the DFL innovation as a executive vice president. So, you know, it seems almost like if you don't look at it properly, that is sounds like the same role, just in a different you know different names to it. But there is very distinct differences. So maybe talk us through that for a minute. Great. Um, so I got hired for um, running the digital sports. Um, what does the DFL digital sports do? Um, we produce a lot of media, so we produce the international TV program. So I do broadcast, or my team does broadcast. We do all webs and apps. Um, we are the in-house um, creative agency, and I would say the data competence center when it comes to business analytics. Right. This I've done for four years. Um, so we did a complete turnaround, we changed the management team, um, we transitioned uh, completely cloud native to the cloud, we um, shut off legacy system, we have relaunched web pages, web apps, etc. So for four years, um, I wouldn't say my job was done, but the company was in a state where um, I, I had also then a, a COO, a colleague um, um, uh, was from Bastian, he was promoted, um, becoming a managing director. 
And this freed up time for me to take on additional um, challenges. And in the discussion with the board and our CEO, Christian Seifert, we have recognized over two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago now, that the core positioning of the league as being the most innovative, one of the most innovative sports leagues, uh, at le definitely the most innovative football league, is one positioning that will help us in our long-term growth plan to increase the, the value of our media rights. Mm -hmm. If you create new content, if you get, if you have more personalized content, if you create more data products, etc., either you increase the value of an existing right or in best case, you create new right categories. Mm -hmm. And with these new right categories, you gain additional revenue. Yeah. And the necessity was there that you can't just innovate out of a daughter company, but you have to have a role that coordinates across the board the um, various digital innovation initiatives. And we negotiated then the partnership um, together with um, AWS, uh, Amazon Web Services, which then gave us additional fuel to really switch to the next higher gear um, and to increase our innovation speed. I love it. And again, I, the, the, I'm going to yeah, di definitely dive into the AWS part. And, and the part I was just going to say is that that's the world I come from. Right? I'm a revenue guy. Uh, you know, my job is always go find money in, in, in the content space. And I like what you said earlier, that it isn't just about how much further you can monetize existing content, but really what new content could you create or can be created. And whether it's and it might not even be called content anymore, right? Maybe it's data, and maybe it's other parts of it which is comes out of it, right? And um, you know, let's let's talk a bit about this. What are some of those digital innovations? Maybe you have one or two great examples of where you've done things with AI, um, you know, and other elements which you could talk a bit about. I think the the three initiatives I can give some insights in um, would be the first our journey towards a personalized media experience. Mm -hmm. We're coming from a world when there was broadcast only, one too many. Yep. We're moving to a world which gets more and more localized. Uh, so at the moment we have six satellites around the world providing um, TV signals to the various continents. These um, signals are getting more and more personalized. So for the African market, you, we open up with African players, Asian, Asian players, uh, US, US players, um, uh, etc. Mm -hmm. So this gives a first feeling of, of um, local relevance because we believe that in a time when the content space gets more and more broad, where you have more and more social networks, where there is no longer one opinion. Football can be one of the last uniting factors. Uh, but mm -hmm. this football has to feel, even though it's played in Germany, far, far away in a different time zone, a couple of thousand, it has to feel close and uh, has right. to feel relevant, locally relevant. Right. In, in our view into the future, six, way, six different signals are not enough. No? Right. An average football fan follows four clubs in the Bundesliga. So four out of 36 <laughs> equals uh, 58,000 different individual theoretical taste profiles. Mm -hmm. and, and that is based on a German prof, uh, fan or a global fan? That's based on a German fan, on okay. a German fan, and we're getting more and more research from other markets. Mm -hmm. But let's say at least if you have two clubs, if you have a second league club and a first league club, you want to see something different through different myths of social yep. media than somebody who just follows 
um, three clubs out of one region or right. somebody who just follows the clubs with the most Latin American players. Yep. And this kind of attitude to say we want to our job is to make sure that the fan enjoys the beautiful game in the Bundesliga to the highest extent could lead in, I don't know, 10 years in 1 million different streams that we're sending out in a world right. where maybe satellites no longer exist, etc. So fully this is, customized, yeah. Yes, fully customized. Huh? Uh, and when I think about um, fully customized, it's not for me like you have little switches and you, you, you tell the machine what you want. No. It's like the Facebook, like the TikTok, like the Instagram feed. The feed knows what you want, and mm. all the personalization gets yeah. automatic. And we there, are, yeah, machine learning, yes. And maybe we're there, uh, step three out of ten or four out of ten. So the journey, there's still an exciting journey ahead. Mm. The Interesting. Second, yeah, please keep going. Yeah, the second part would be for me. Um, would be data focused. Um, so together with AWS, we launched the Bundesliga match facts. Mm -hmm. We have roughly a billion data points per season that we generate. Um, so every game, 25 times per second, the position of the poll, the referee and all players um, are monitored. On this level, data collection level, we have lots of reporting levels. So how many kilometers has somebody run or what's right. the ball position and all that stuff that you know yeah. since years on screen. But the level above are, um, are the insights. It's the Bundesliga match facts. Mm. We can tell within seconds after a goal has been scored what was, was the probability that out of that situation he would have hit the goal. Right. So three. the, the easiest to calculate is um, the... Um, 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 penalty kick, uh, elf meter. So 75% of all penalty kicks result in a goal. Okay. But see lots of, lots of um, shots on goal, which are like 6% or 7% probability. Um, so for us to tell a story of the top 10 most unprobable goal, what were the most exciting goals, just got added another level of, um, of depth. So... Mm. We want to tell a game is fairly um, comparable. Huh? The results varies and the location varies. But if you have a say 6-0 goal in a, in, a, in a stadium, it may be a beautiful goal, but it is, um, it's just a 6-goal, 6-0. It's no longer decisive for the game. But if at the same time you can tell the story that was the most unprobable goal of the season until now, this is something that we find very, very interesting. And again, it pays back to my first point. How can we increase the value of the media rights? Right. If you add data layer on top of it, then um, you right. can increase value. Yeah, and yeah, and you add a level of storytelling to it, really. Right? That's the you know at the end of the day what it, what it's all about, right? That data isn't just raw data sitting there, but it's you know someone can turn it into a story, which is which is the part I like about it. Um, now, uh, just a quick question before we get to your third point. I think you said you have three. Um, how does the how do the teams currently use that data? They already have full access to it, and therefore someone can really go through it and 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 analyze and and to some degree shape how the team will play in the future, or it's not quite there yet so there is a so-called club portal on the data match hub where we deliver all data um, to all teams so mm -hmm. if you want to get data on a team that you're going to play against with you can go to that portal download the data uh, most teams have their own 
data sets where they combine our match data together with their training data. Some teams buy external data to do benchmarking towards games from the Premier League, etc. So there are uh, players like back in the day Opta or now Perform or yep. Stats, um, which provide great data sets and combine it. And that's also our data strategy towards licensees. You can buy data directly from us or you can buy data in an aggregated form from uh, resellers like uh, Sport Radar or Perform, etc. Right. So are you in, I mean, so in, in, a, in essence, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, DFL is always about the clubs anyway, right? You are, uh, they're, they're your customer in some, some degree. Um, you know, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the movie Moneyball, right? I mean, how close are we in to see Moneyball in Germany in, in, the, in the Bundesliga? I would say um, my football knowledge of that would be too limited, <laughs> but we see young players like Julian Nagelsmann, etc., who really incorporate data into their tra training methods. Um, I think it is it 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 decides the good from the great clubs whether you they use data or not. Uh, it's sure football is a people's game and people and and it's about the motivation and the individual strategy and you know, the innovation. Um, idea, innovative ideas, what to do differently um, um, as a coach. But um, data gives you an, an, another level to get maybe inspired or reassured. I think one very important layer we are yet in the beginning is inju injury prevention. Um, this mm. is something very close to my heart to say. If I can prevent an injury to be happening, so not by a foul, but by something in the muscle or something, and we can help the clubs to reduce the injury time by, 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 by getting additional data that helps them to interpret, interpret it in a way that changes how you train or how you utilize a player. Yeah. I think this would be a great, great benefit. I love it. I'll connect you to with a gentleman called Dr. Marcus Elliott. I had him on my podcast. He's a doctor in applied sports science, and he does exactly what you just talked about on a big level in, with the NBA in the U.S. Um, very successful. All new players are now running through his system there. Um, and I've, he actually was just in Munich recently. Um, his son is now playing some football there. Uh, incredible stuff. So but without getting too sidetracked on it, but uh, I think you guys would have really enjoyed that conversation there because it goes exactly in the same direction, the longevity of the player and, and how you use data, of course, to, to make that happen, right? Now, you, you mentioned there was a third part, right, um, of, in terms of what you're doing um, in there. What, what's, the, what's number three here? The number three is, um, it sounds a little bit boring, but it's actually quite exciting, uh, Smart Media Archive, how we call it. Mm -hmm. um, it is, so we have 150,000 hours of media footage in our digital library. So every piece of film got digitalized um, over the last years right. and actually destroyed. Um, and um, it's all in a digital archive. Right. But utilizing that media is quite challenging because back in the day, there was no metadata, there were no subtitles, there was no very limited text. So our... Um, our goal is for every piece of recorded media footage, I want to know in the single frame who is in that frame, what is he or she saying. I want to maybe see what's the mood that he or she is in. Mm -hmm. um, I want to have additional data where it was. Um, or maybe we, can, we are able to extract sports data like goal probability from historical footage. And this is 
deep, deep, deep neural learning, deep, 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 um, uh, deep learning, uh, machine learning that we're doing with AWS, where we try to identify faces, situations, sports situations. Uh, we read everything that is on the screen. We guess emotions, etc. And for 150,000 hours, that's a lot of petabyte yeah. to have okay. processed. This is only possible together um, um, with, with somebody like AWS um, who provide us the tools for it. Yeah, interesting. And, this will, uh, and our belief is that once we have done that, stuff like um, uh, fantasizing um, uh, most comparable goal. So maybe there is a special goal happening on the pitch and in real time you can show the black and white footage of the exact goal of the of the exact um, uh, game happening 40 years ago. That would right. be amazing. Yeah. Something yeah. no other, even no other league, I would say, is possible to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And, and again, that that is what you keep you know referring back to is where the value gets enhanced, where it isn't just any more. You know, how much more would I buy for the same content? But now all of a sudden there is new content. There's new ways to use even, you know, old footage rather than just I got a bunch of archive, which everyone has, right? Everyone has a ton of archive. Uh, what do you actually do with it, I think, and, and how you would incorporate it? I think that's the trick here of what you're talking about, which is I like that, uh, you know, coming back to the monetization side of it. Uh, now, I, I just to uh, um, come back to the very first one where we were talking about um, using AI. I, I remember you in another interview, I think you talked about how you guys are literally now AI creates virtual, I mean, basically clips for all the, you know, say Japanese player as an example. And, and within, you know, minutes, highlights of that can be sent off to uh, to Japan or other locations in the world uh, for their specific players. Right. So that's all driven now. That's fully automated, right? Yes. Um, I really, really hate wasting talent um, and hate wasting human lifetime. <laughs> and if you if you imagine how much human lifetime got wasted by setting in and out points to do a pre-production to select players, scenes, um, etc. Mm. And this is where where um, where um, the robot, um, the AI, can be is tr can be treated like a like a colleague. Yeah? You have a pre-production. If I want to see um, all Japanese players from the current season, shots on goal, which led to a corner kick. I feed that to the machine and I get a rough cut of that content um, produced. No. I can even say um, uh, at which lengths I want to have it. And mm. the machine also knows like if it's if I select goal, <laughs> in this case I didn't, but in goal, it, it automatically detects the voice of the commentator. So it's like goal, and only when the um, voice goes down, it cuts off. Right, so it's right, a very, right. very intelligent game, um, 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 production setup, which liberates people from doing dumb work and really lets them do the creative stuff because that's what we do them for. Now, again, question, first question would be, do the your your uh, your clients your in this case the the the, the rights buyer um, do they have access to this themselves or they would have to come to you and say here is what we're looking for and then someone in your team pulls it up for them how does that work I would say it depends on the commercial discussion <laughs> sure sure so it's on the cloud so it's generally available <laughs> okay so um, at the moment um, we are using it mostly internally. But there are some cases where we are developing towards self-service tools. Mm. 
Right. Because again, that that is sort of where am I the buyer, right? If, if I'm the broadcaster, the platform, whatever you are, OTT, uh, those are the opportunities. If someone offers that to me, is where you know I would see again uh, the added value compared to others. Um, so I, I, I really like that part. Um, now let's quickly touch a bit on AWS. Um, you mentioned it a few times, and it was also, of course, reported all over the press uh, that there was a new deal, which I think sound is, you know started many years ago, but has now come into something much bigger. Right? Maybe talk us through a little bit of uh, of the journey there. When I arrived 2015 um, with the with the DFL, um, I already did seven years ago, my first cloud project. Um, so I think the first AWS project I've done was with my startup seven load, something like 2008 um, um, or 2009 uh, in the in the in the days when we variableized cost going back from rigid server infrastructure towards cloud infrastructure, like encoding in the cloud, etc. Mm. So I was pretty shocked of the state of technology that we were in in 2015. We had data centers um, somewhere and we had to pay ridiculous prices for stuff that we only use uh, in the peak twice or maybe four times a year. Start of season, end of season, the Klassiker, um, Spielplan, uh, so the release of the match schedule and maybe last match day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole infrastructure was built up for that. So the first step was how do we variableize server infrastructure to get rid of, not to be safe in the peaks, but to lower the cost. Then the cloud services in 16, 17, 18, 19 really accelerated in their capabilities, decreased in price and increased in quality. And latest 2018, we started to learn what is possible and what other stuff can we innovate for our customers. So we started a cloud transition project, um, a shut off old legacy systems. And in that process, we have seen for us and our needs and our favorite uh, favorite tool has become AWS for our developers. Um, And my true belief is never decide against your developers. If you have developers who love working with a certain tool set, give them more of it, give them unlimited access to it. They will create great, great stuff around it. And this is what happened. And from the culture, um, we fit very, very good to AWS um, very well because they are the most customer-centric uh, company. We are the most fan-centric company or league. Mm-hmm. And this radical focus on making the customer happy, our customer being the TV licensees, the broadcasters and OTT players in the world and the fans and their customer, the tech community, this really, really fit um, uh, well together. And we define these three areas where we want to innovate in and where we concentrate next to lots of other stuff that we're doing, where we concentrate our joint forces onto. Right. Now, if I, unless I'm completely misread it, it sounded like a bit like AWS has also become almost a sponsor or partner of the league, right? Almost meaning they may be bringing money to you as well. Is that correct or do I misread that? That's correct. Um, so we, we have found an agreement where they are our marketing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're integrated in every game on screen, etc. Um, we do lots of marketing together where they um, 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 we help them uh, to bring their brand into um, a, rele- a relevant market space and they help us on the other hand um, on the technology. 
Got it. Yeah, cool. I like that. I mean, and I, and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of AW as well. I think they do amazing stuff there. Now, uh, switching here to our friends in Italy, Delta Tray. You, you, I believe you have a JV with them as well. Um, what does that entail? And that's obviously would be focused on data, I'm assuming, um, or which part of uh, of what Delta Tray does. Yeah. So what we have understood is that there are areas where you need partners to grow to a really excel level. And um, we over years, we paid companies um, to do our data acquisition and our data processing. Mm -hmm. But a couple of years ago um, was decided um, to found the sports tech solutions, which was then a um, a JV with um, Delta Tray, a minority um, at that time. And we just announced roughly uh, three, four months ago that we take it to the next step and create together with Delta Tree a company that really wants to be the innovation and market leader in that uh, in that space. Um, mm. So the products and services have been hardened by utilizing them in our Bundesliga, which have I would say from the from the leagues one of the highest um, aspirations in quality and quantity to then roll out these solutions to other leagues and, and help them to be also more successful around data, around virtual um, um, uh, VAR, so video assistant referee right. um, and other services. And we have a we have a long, long partnership with DataTray. They're really, really great guys. Um, and um, we, we love that they are successful. Uh, if they are successful, we are successful. And it's a it's a it's a, it's a great partnership slash um, JV. Um, I'm servicing for the um, there on the board on the supervisory board and getting these insights and the um, and the drive that Delta Tree has. Um, it's it's really amazing. Hmm, interesting, and, and that leads me nicely into the next one. I, I know the league does. I think every two years you have this sort of innovation day or or, or, or week weekend um, where you you bring all the all your I guess service providers and even some of the startups I guess into an environment, uh, into a stadium, and you showcase this. Uh, I think that your next one is coming up next year, right? Um, I think it's always at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, again, I guess the league you, as a league, you see yourself as bit like an incubator, right? You you have the toys to, to play with and now let people in to go and, and, and play the, you know and showcase their their technology, etc. You know, what what is your role in this as, you know, DFL digital? You know, you are you enabling them or you know, how do you look at this? Yeah. Um it's it's another job I have. <laughs> um that's the sports innovation um trade fair which has as a USP that you see technology applied in a stadium in a real time, a real life um, environment. Mm. What I mean with that, um, if you go to an IBC or an NAB, you see broadcasting technology, but the application of that technology can't be showcased. Right. What we're doing at the Sports Innovation, it's a trade fair with 40, 50, 60 um, exhibitors, but also you can book a slot where you get access to the data that's generated in the stadium. And we play four matches, mm -hmm. exhibition matches in the stadium. Okay. And you can showcase and, and showcase as an exhibitor or as an, um, as an, um, uh, if you visit as a visitor, um, you can take a look at these technology around sport, generating sports, data or creating avatars in real time from what's happening on the pitch and various others, new camera sets, etc. Um, and it's part of my department and um, 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 uh, my head of uh, innovation from the DFL. 
Um, he's organizing um, the the trade fair together with the Messe Düsseldorf, which is one of the largest uh, trade fair companies in Germany. Yeah. And we we're going to next time it's going to happen in spring uh, 2022 um, com um, when COVID allows it, hopefully again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do some uh, I do some work as as advisor with, with advisor to two uh, startups in this sort of space. Um, I'm gonna make sure both of them figure out a way to get there. Uh, I, I really like they they fit well into exactly what you guys are doing there. Uh, now let's talk a bit about COVID um, because so much has changed, right? Even the Bundesliga, you know, is playing in front of empty stadiums now, and you know, there's a lot of uh, discussions at the beginning whenever it's whatever that was last season actually now. Um, you know, how into the international feed, I remember the first international feed was without any sound and it, it, it was boring as hell. And then the next one, luckily, you guys started to pipe, you know, at least some sort of fan noise in the background and it, it, right away it became a lot more interesting to watch. Um, talk us through a couple of the innovations um, you as, in the, especially from a digital side, you guys have created in the last, let's call it 12 months here. I think the biggest advancements we've done um, was the realization that if fans or when fans are missing, it's a big threat to the business model. Yep. Because lots of um, uh, lots of revenue is lost on a club level, but it can also be a driving force for innovation to do and uh, to try new stuff. And some of the innovations, uh, most of the innovations we have done were on-screen innovations. Mm -hmm where we integrated, I don't know if you've seen the Classica on Saturday, um, which was also played without audience behind closed doors. We added a lot of augmented reality into the media signal. We created the Bundesliga match facts. We created even more content in a virtual way. So there's lots of advantages where it can't balance out the disadvantage that we don't have the fans in the stadium. And it bleeds my heart um, to take a look at the at the game without without fans. because. Absolutely. Um, Fans are in our focus, but our mission is to do the best media production possible under these harsh, harsh circumstances um, to provide service to the fans at home um, that they still can enjoy the beautiful game. Um, I think some opportunities were there where there's light, there's always uh, a shadow. Um, we have <laughs> space in the stadium so we can try new camera sets, etc., mm. and innovate um, um, because um, um, the ranks are empty, but, and this is very, very important, we have existing hygiene concept and the hygiene concept beats everything. So there is a very, very limited amount of, um, um, of amount of people being allowed in the stadium during the match time before and after. And if there is a piece of hardware you can put into the stadium and you don't need a person to operate it, then that is uh, something you can experiment with. But um, our promise towards the politics stands as little people in the stadium as barely. Um. And again, that's, I mean, I can't remember the, what the name of the companies, but I know Bundesliga also has its own production arm, right? Um, where you're obviously out there producing the whole signal yourself rather than, again, outsourcing it as what, what other leagues, certain other leagues do. Uh, I'm assuming there is a lot of interplay, right, between the two of you um, in, in that space as well. Definitely. So they are an integral part of our glass to glass strategy, which starts with the glass of the camera lens and ends with the glass of the TV set or on the mobile phone. 
-hmm. Everything before the first class is operated by the club. So the club takes care of the stadium and and the nice weather and everything that is necessary to play the game. Um, And once we record it, our business model starts. And the first slice of the glass-to-glass strategy is Sportcast, um, our daughter, 100% daughter company who has produced over 10,000 football games, also works for the FIFA and other associations. Um, and the SDS, the Sports Tech Solutions, who gather the data. And it, it was a very, very conscious decision over 12 um, years ago um, to own this part of the value chain. Because if we are deciding to change our camera system, we can do it. If, if we want to decide, we put another camera um, on, uh, into the stadium, we decided ourselves as a league. Right. In other concepts where, as you said correctly, other leagues are doing JVs or in the US, um, even the media product is produced by TVs and not by the league, so by TV broadcasters and not yeah. by the league. You have very limited control. And what we see is our our um, force for change or force for good or force of innovation is possible because we have very, very sh- short turnaround times and highly, highly competent people in-house on the various parts of the content uh, value chain. Yeah, I like that. And, and, and York Dalbitz is, is a good friend of mine, and he's obviously one of the earlier, um, uh, you know, sea levels in the, when the Bundesliga started to really, you know, become a separate entity, right? Um, and so I, I've seen it over the years. Um, Sport tells and others these new innovations which are coming up there on all levels, including, of course, what you're doing. It's it's a it's a very exciting space. Now, keep keeping along the lines here, and also keeping track a bit of our time here. There's still a couple of things I wanted to touch. On. One is data, of course, and bidding, uh, which is huge, of course, globally, uh, and it's getting bigger and as well as more money is in it. What role do you guys play there? Um, how do you, uh, as uh, DFL Digital, play there um, in this space? So betting is part of our world and part of our reality. We are not doing betting um, by ourselves, sure, um, as we are opening uh, operating leak. But we provide data either in a licensing model directly from um, um, from STS, our daughter company, or through wholesalers, which then can be utilized um, for betting all around the world. Right. Okay. So it's just uh, – and obviously, you know, now who sells those rights? Is that part of your remit or that's a different part of the company who uh, is in charge of the monetization there? Yeah, it's a different part of the company, um, uh, so not in my responsibility. Um, it's mostly done by the Bundesliga International, our sales arm. Got it. Makes sense. Right. Um, now, last two sort of pieces here. One is the um, uh, let's call it the, the the new form of monetization. The you know, and and we're both uh, you know probably familiar with NBA shots, right? Uh, the, you know, which is basically at the end of the day just a clip. Um, now put on blockchain, uh, numbered, registered, and you know, certain controlled in a controlled environment. Um, and the NBA has obviously gone out there and, and uh, for whatever we can read, it looks like they're generating some tremendous amount of new money in it. Um, what's your thought on NFT? And could you see something like this happening in uh, you know with the Bundesliga in a similar fashion? I think we have to differentiate between cyclic products like collectibles for a season. Um, where we have the um, great partner with uh, Tops who do um, great collectibles um, on paper near real time where something happened and you can order it and within days you have 
the uh, the situation your own <laughs> your own um, a copy of that um, on a piece of paper as a as a photo for example um, but also offers more and more digital services um, it's more like a um, like a collection a season based and content that you truly own in form of NTFs or other kinds of uh, crypto um, crypto formats. In the first part, um, we have a great partner with Tops and a long-standing partner um, do a good, tremendous job there. In the second part, we are in the beginning to look at. Um, I think the important is that collectibles have a different market size and uh, cultural history than in the U.S. markets. And um, there you have to be realistic. And um, again, we we ra- rarely do something for the PR, PR effect um, because we are we are too focused on really creating relevant stuff for the fans. And we are now looking into research. Is that relevant for them? And if it would be relevant for them, is it something that we would do together with a partner or ourselves? It's the same discussion like um, with our Bundesliga Pass or OTT product which we could launch anytime in any market. Um, but the sales was uh, very good given the current situation uh, that we si- decided not uh, not to launch the Bundesliga pass um, with this season or last season because we are sold out. And um, But we have it. We keep our powder dry to be, op- to, be, to be able to launch something like this for ourselves. But at the moment, we are more money with not launching it. Right. And it's interesting. And, that, and it's a really nice sort of maybe even last point to to dig into. And that is OTT, right, um, which everyone talks about. And, and everyone, every leak in the world has, let's call them black market, dark markets or markets where, you know, the revenue isn't quite, quite there yet, right, because the, the, the uh, rights holders are, so the, the platform owners aren't ready to, you know, write the right checks. Uh, now, I've read somewhere that, you know, the Bundesliga had, uh, almost 50 deals around the world, but at least globally, let's not. I'm not talking about the domestic rights. Um, the rights fees have gone down by 20% or so. Uh, now that's where again the question then comes in: How much is that purely because of the, the pandemic and other things around the world, um, or is it a trend where less and less broadcasters are willing to you know put the money up front out and, and just playing the usual arbitrage game versus? Uh, the league needs to start looking at this, their you know direct to consumer approach, which is what you know what we talk about just now with the OT, OT, uh, OTT for you guys. Um, it's a it's a fine line, right? And it, and no one probably has the true answer to it yet. But how would you see this? When do you see this? You know, is it two couple of years away, or as you said, you you can pull it anytime you're ready. But when is when do you think this is this really going to switch from? The current model of selling on the rights and then you know your your partner does something with it versus you will do it on your own. That's a very good question. Um, the and a very difficult to answer. There mm. are markets. <laughs> there are markets where local players are paying strategic prices because. Um, Football is something that is in the heart and in the interest of the fans, and it drags along other business opportunities. And in the bundling of the Bundesliga with an entertainment package, with you, with you name it, you can overall extend the customer lifetime or increase the APU on a higher extent than the Bundesliga content itself may monetize. So 
as long as companies are paying strategic prices, and I'm not saying that they're overpaying, but strategic prices, it is very tough to come up with your own business model. Right. On a higher level, if I take a look in the next years ahead, um, you will see that more and more telcos are moving towards um, aggregation platforms. We see it in Germany, we see it in the US, where um, platforms are bundled into tiered or unbundled um, subscription packages where it's very easy to increase at increase um, include add-ons like Netflix etc to the um, to your existing cable or telco I think this is a, a world where you utilize an existing customer relationship and offer new services in which there's a higher probability that again looking at customer acquisition and retention a higher possibility that um, you can gain fast or get access to um, to a um, to a customer base. Mm. So in the discussions with our board, with um, um, with the presidium, which is our super our, our um, a presidential board, um, there was not one market where we were given the current situation dissatisfied with this, this decision um, with the offers that we got. Um, so the decision was not to launch it. But that said. Market change sometimes um, players in the market yeah. go belly up and it starts again in the beginning. We are ready, right? Yeah, and I and I, I think that's the key here, and that's the key message, really, right? You know, because you've seen it all the time, right? It, what happened in China with Premier League or even Media Pro in France, which is maybe on an even larger level because of it's domestically related. Um, I think the leagues do need to have Plan B, if it is even called Plan B, right, um, to uh, be able to go and do things on their own. So, and and I do think this to me, it's it's the it's a natural evolution. So I, I think from you know, DFL Digital being uh, what you're doing there now, which is, you know, sort of still providing services as a larger group. I do think in the future, this could become a very large, important revenue streams for the league, uh, as important as it is, let's call it traditional, the t TV team there, which does the selling right now. So I think you were sitting there in an interesting space um, and clearly already doing some incredible stuff. So I wish you best of luck with the rest of it. Um, and while we sort of, you know, coming to, to a finish line here now, um, you know, there has been some discussions glow in, in the press again of the Bundesliga potentially selling off some of their international rights, uh, maybe even to a private equity group. I don't know whether you can even comment on it or your thoughts on it of what you hear and, and you know, what's happening there. I think as a league, you always have to, you have a responsibility to look into opportunities um, because we're here to surf. We're here to surf to increase the revenue towards our clubs, to enable our clubs to act on the highest economical level possible. And um, there are, if you take a look at DFLDE, there is a comment on it that it's true. Yeah, sure. Um, we have um, lots of lots of uh, private equity companies have expressed their interest. And uh, we are now starting a structure process um, to understand what is it that we can and want to offer, could offer them. What would be the expectation of an, um, potential investors? And is there a fit of what we think would be best for the league and an investor, what he thinks where they want to engage? And if there is a match, this is something we would bring to the presidential board and to the um, um, a members assembly um, that then the clubs have to decide on. We as a league see ourselves as a facilitator and creating a basis on which a decision can be taken. Hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, it makes sense, and, and you know, obviously, I think you you know, seeing what what uh, the Italians are doing, Syria, and the conversation they're having with CVC, um, which looks even on a bigger level of what they're doing, because I think it includes all rights. Um, I think in your case, you were looking mostly at the international side of it. So uh, it's an exciting time. Um, I'm in some conversations with certain groups around the world as well. So I'm I'm watching it very carefully and and maybe we get involved in some of those conversations. But uh, yeah, it is, again, none of that was, would be, these conversations wouldn't probably not be happening if not for COVID um, and, and with a right or wrong. Uh, leaks around the world have to become a lot more creative, um, a lot more innovative. And, and I think this is the space you're in, right? You're in the digital space there, and that's uh, what it's all about. So I'm quite certain that your bosses are listening to you more than ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope, at least. We are in a very good discussion, always. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Andreas, this was a lot of fun here. We got a good, nice hour in here. Um, a lot of great content, uh, Great insights into into your, a, your own career, but also into really how the Bundesliga ticks and especially the digital side here. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, wish you all the best there in Cologne. Uh, looking forward to coming and seeing you there again soon once travel becomes a bit easier. Definitely. Thank you for the invite and see you latest um, in spring next year into sports innovation, but hopefully earlier. Definitely. Looking forward to that. Thanks so much. Tschüss. Tschüss. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Luer Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.